You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. Hotel-branded residences have become the norm these days, with iconic hospitality brands such as Four Seasons, Ritz-Carlton, Fairmont, and The Standard putting their names behind residential projects all over the globe. From breathtaking locations to the the top-of-the-line amenities and VIP perks to ultra-personal service, hotel-branded residences offer a lifestyle aligned with the ideals each brand represents. And thanks to last year's economic recovery following the pandemic-driven slowdown in 2020, full-service luxury-branded residences have become the asset class of choice over the past 12 months for a growing global cohort of ultra-high-net-worth individuals. My guest today on The Luxury Item is Adelina Wong Edelson, Global Head of Residences Marketing at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel Group. Adelina has been instrumental in establishing the brand as a sought-after hotel partner for luxury residential developers globally. She has successfully launched branded residential properties in locations as diverse as Bodrum, Moscow, and Bangkok. Prior to joining Mandarin Oriental, Adelina was the Executive VP of Marketing at Cocker and Sunshine Marketing Group. Her extensive knowledge spans across various domestic and international markets, ranging from luxury, fashion, retail, real estate, and hospitality. Welcome to the luxury item, Adelina. Hi, Scott. How are you? Happy to be here. Thank you for joining me. So before we embark deeper into the podcast, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your role as head of residence marketing at the Mandan Oriental Group. Great. Happy to. So I've been in this role, which is the global head of residences marketing at Mandarin Oriental Hotel Group for the last uh, 14 years. And really the role has evolved over the years. Uh, Initially, we had two residences under management and that we operate. We now have seven with 18 more coming up. So really the role is to ensure that developers who are building the hotels and the residences understand what the Mandarin Oriental brand is all about and to translate all of our brand pillars and what makes us so successful in the hotel space to or in into a residential setting. Uh, and that's really the, the main gist of the role to work with developers to ensure that our brand stays true to its DNA and also to to really promote this as part of a second business, really, for Mandarin Oriental. And it might be instructive to the listeners how exactly a branded residence is defined. Uh, Well, I guess, you know, first we have to start with the brand. And so to me, a brand is, you know, a product that is associated with feelings and emotions that uh, a consumer has. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not really a brand if they don't really connect with it. You know, so it could be toilet paper versus, you know, you know, Kleenex for tissue paper, that sort of thing. So and I think that, you know, once you have that, there is usually a strong following or loyalty due to this emotion that people feel when they use your brand or when they get in contact or experience the brand. So it is definitely not a rational, but emotional thing. So a branded residence by that definition is a residential product that is associated with a brand like a hotel or a car or fashion. And for it to work in the real estate sector, which is really a very different product for for a hotel company, 
it has to be relevant and authentic to our own brand pillars and for it to keep that same emotion and feelings that our guests, when they come to our hotels around the world, feel when they enter into our hotel and, you know, stay with us. So the, the, the branded residence is really just connecting with what a brand does well and has usually successful in its own product category. And now it's being translated into a real estate product. And I see three different target audiences here. I think, you know, the developers, the brands and the owners. So what are the advantages of branded residences to these three groups, developers, brands, and owners? Well, I guess for the first one, which is the developers, right? The advantages of having a brand and which is why this entire sector branded residences have exploded in the last five years is that it's usually associated with, well, there's an associated feelings and you have the brand loyal fan base as well as usually a, you know, a premium that people are willing to pay for having a branded product as opposed to just a building. And I guess for the the buyers who are the people who are actually living there, there's definitely the sense of comfort and credibility that, for example, a brand like Mandarin Oriental, and we're a global international brand, we would have done our due diligence with a local developer or a developer who's building this building. So I think there's a sense of comfort and assurance that it will be built and also the assurance of the brand standard that, you know, of a hotel, you know, five-star luxury hotel guest, they would expect from a luxury hotel so that they are going to get the services that they're buying, um, that they signed up for. And then for the last part, which was reminding which is the brands, the brand the brand itself. Why, right. why would we do it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there are many reasons. And I think it's extension of a relevant uh, product category. And I think you will see many brands entering into the space because of the desire and the um, demand for it from the development side. But I think really the brand does it, you know, aside from a natural extension uh, for hotels to, to a different product category is really for the branding fees because most brands get a fee for being associated with a development and, um, and it can be very lucrative. And branded residences are not new. They've been around you know, since the early part of the 20th century. And the concept really didn't pick up to like the 1980s. And I was just reading that in the last 10 years, have seen an increase of 230% in branded residence market. And despite what's going on in the world, the global situation, 2020 saw, saw more than like 77 new schemes. So what's driving the demand for branded residences? It's the assurance uh, that the, uh, the buyer would have that, that a brand, whether it's a hotel brand or another brand that we've done our job in making sure that, you know, that our brand is not going to be in any sort of peril by, by associating ourselves with, with, with this product, with, with the real estate product. But I, I really think that the surge in the popularity of branded residence is also attributed to the, the benefits that people see afforded to the developers and to you know, these buyers. They know that they will get a turnkey experience with, with a five-star hotel group taking care of they're every day, every need, you know, 24 hours a day. The access to, as I mentioned earlier, luxury amenities, hassle-free living, and especially now with this COVID 
uh, the pandemic, it's the lockup and leave capabilities that really complements at this level, which is where we're operating in, in the ultra high net worth luxury lifestyle. And I think, I think that it's just going to continue. I think the branded residences, like you said, really started in the US, in New York with the Sherry Netherland Hotel. Right. And it's really changed a lot in the way that the hotel brands specifically work with developers because the, you know, in the old days, I think you, there were more of a, oh, we're, we give you the brand name and that's it. Now there's a lot more control and a lot more collaboration between the hotel side and the and the developer because really this is our brand. Nobody's going to be saying that XYZ development is building that and this is the XYZ development. The reason why they're buying it is because this is a Mandarin Oriental residence. And with that, it has certain significant um, attributes that people are expecting. And certainly that's what we always aim to deliver. I was reading that branded residences attract a premium of about 30% over non-branded residences. How well do these branded residences hold their value on resale? Well, I think they hold their value quite well, even in a down market. And I would say that your reading, <laughs> it, it's, it's pretty correct. It's, it's uh, you know, between 25 to 30-ish uh, premium over a non-branded uh, residence. I think mostly because of that, people are willing to pay more uh, for ease of life, so lifestyle improved well-being, the idea of the fact that you have a five-star hotel managing your, your very important asset because a home is, you know, it could be an alternative asset for some people, but it's really much more emotionally attached than say, you know, a painting and, or art. So I think that that is quite important. It, it is a luxury uh, lifestyle and it's a luxury purchase. The pandemic has shifted people's fundamental consciousness about the purpose of each home they own and traditional lines demarcating our, our abodes, workplaces, and holiday destinations are blurring as the popularity of living and working anywhere is pretty much now a given. Did the pandemic amp up people's interest in what branded residences have to offer? Certainly. Uh, I think the pandemic has transformed really the meaning of home, uh, as well as the priorities of the home buyers. Now, more than ever, the buyers are looking to upgrade their home because they're spending a lot more time in it. And it could be various homes, so it doesn't have to be one singular home, but uh, at this level that, you know, the ultra high net worth, they are traveling between multiple homes, but they need to have, instead of a secondary home, having this is a vacation home, this is now two co-primaries um, where they need to have almost all of their work uh, requirements for, because people are working remotely uh, at the home, as well as a balance of families, having that space for the family to work, to live, to be entertained and to play. So I think that there is um, a, a shift in how residents use their homes. As well, the other thing that we're seeing is that, um, especially in our seven residences that we have at Mandarin Oriental, that they're staying longer at their off-season homes. So our residences you know, have directors of residences and a full staff catering to our, you know, our owners who live there or who, who resides there 
part-time. And we can easily accommodate this trend, providing lock and leave ease without compromising any levels of service and security or amenities shared. Uh, and, and the other thing that I think that is associated with that is because it is a home, people, the buyers or actually the owners who, who live there, they want to feel at home when they come back to New York or they travel to their London home. And having a consistent level of staff who, who know your name and who understands what you need and automatically cater to what they know about you is really a big lifestyle and a huge benefit to, to many of these buyers. Well, isn't that what most full service luxury buildings offer these days? Like what is, what is the biggest perk that branded hotels residences have? I think the biggest perk and the difference is a branded residence can offer a lot of great amenities, uh, quality amenities that these buyers are looking for. But I think the biggest perk that a hotel branded residences offer, as opposed to a, just a full service luxury building, is the fact that the management and services are from a luxury five-star hotel group. So the standards, the training, it's all from a, um, a five-star hotel and geared really towards expectations of a, of a luxury hotel guests. So that is really a huge difference because you can have a same staff, same number of staff in a full-service luxury building, but are they trained by Mandarin Oriental? Are they trained to the full extent of the detail? And we train them emotionally to, to attune to the guests and the residents' lifestyle and, and their, their requests. So I think that is one of the biggest differences. The lifestyle is to live in a luxury hotel with all its conveniences and ease of life. And I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? Eloise did. <laughs> <laughs> so a more recent development is the advent of these non-hotelier luxury brands that are entering the residential markets, such as Bentley, Aston Martin, Porsche, Baccarat, Armani, to name a few. And there's more to come. And on a basic level, it seems like just an opportunity for luxury brands to expand their brand profile. Why are more non-hospitality luxury brands entering the fray? I think, as I mentioned before, it, it is a way to diversify their product categories. I would say that it would be because they're being, uh, they see a like-minded developer uh, who can produce something that they're going to be proud of and that it's in keeping with their brand, brand ethos, um, but it's also the branding piece. And so I think for, for Bentley, for Imani, for Baccarat, all of those I mean, why do they enter? They do see it as an opportunity to enter into the very lucrative real estate market. But can they offer something that a luxury hotel brand can offer? I'm not sure. I mean, the question is, who would you want to be managing your $5 million plus asset, your home? Would you like a five-star luxury hotel brand or would you like a car company? I mean, that's right. really boils down to that. And I think that it says something a lot about, you know, what works in terms of brand affiliation. I'm not saying anything. I mean, Bentley, I just went to see their, their sales office in, in Miami. I think it's, um, they have, they do a very good job in terms of the quality, but then the big question is, but who's going to be servicing it? Who, you know, are there, who's going to be the, the people 
that will you'll see day in and day out who will manage really essentially your life and your home. And I guess the risk of these non-hospitality brands is that the service culture is inherent in the DNA of hospitality brands, and they need to actually invest in the hospitality ingredients that are a mainstay of the industry. So if they screw that up, they could tarnish their brand equity, don't you think? Correct. I, I would agree. So I think, you know, again, it, they would have to really make sure that the developer that they align themselves with, and if I were consulting with them, I would say, well, let's make sure that they're going to deliver everything to the level that a Bentley, you know, because most people have a, a feeling and association or perception of Bentley as being the top, you know, the highest end of, of luxury cars, that that is being delivered in every way. So I, I can see that in terms of the product, the innovation and the quality, but the question is just that. In terms of the other element of living in a residence is very different. You don't just leave. When you leave a store, you buy a product, you leave. But in a home, in a residential product, you're living there. So you have to, you have many touch points with the service the colleagues who are working at a building. So I think they would have to invest or they would have to maybe white glove it. Um, so then that's one thing that I would say that for Mandarin Oriental, we absolutely manage and we operate each and every residence that we are uh, branded, that we have branded. So it's, it's always Mandarin Oriental colleagues and trained specifically to our standards and we do not white glove anything out. Yeah. And one thing about Mandarin Oriental Hotel Group, it does not have a reputation of screwing up its brand equity. And it often ranks either one or two on someone's best luxury hotel brands, you know, in the world list. What is it about the Mandarin Oriental brands, distinct characteristics that sets it apart from other world-class luxury hotel brands? Um, I think first and more, foremost is that we have in our name, Oriental Heritage. We are a hotel company that started over 60 years ago with the merging of the Mandarin Hotel in Hong Kong, which itself is an icon, and with the Oriental in Bangkok, which is also an iconic and legendary hotel. And the merging of the two distinctive hotels created the brand Mandarin Oriental. So we come from really a heritage and a base of Asian hospitality, but we're really a truly global luxury player now. And Although we are rooted in Asian heritage and hospitality, we've built this reputation for delivering very innovative um, and bespoke dining. Um, and that's evident with the total of 25 Michelin stars that we've been awarded over the years, uh, but specifically in the last year. We, we have such depth in the number of F&B culinary uh, skills and culinary concepts and chefs that we bring to each new market that we, we enter. And then the other element that we are truly known for um, is really the award-winning spas and wellness facilities. And that we're very, very proud of because we have been awarded uh, over 13 uh, hotels have been granted the Forbes Five Star Spa Award, which is more than any other hotel group in the world. And then lastly, but not least, for uh, specifically for the residential product is really the way we train our colleagues and our staff how to service and, and how to provide this delightful 
experience to our guests and to our residence owners day in and day out. And that's truly something that we're, we're very proud of. We, we encourage our colleagues to take the initiative and we, we invest quite a lot in training to the point where they are trained in terms of EQ and how to recognize um, and to adjust their manners and adjust their um, behavior to the guests. So it's, it's very individualized and we really empower our colleagues to do so. And when did Mandarin Oriental get into the branded residence game? 2003 in New York. That's the first one uh, yeah. over at Columbus Circle. Yeah, I remember, you know, it was about 2003, the group opened with great fanfare, the Mandarin Oriental New York in the iconic Time Warner building or AOL Time Warner, whatever it was at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and the first residences at Mandarin Oriental was right above the hotel and it really cemented its position in the US market. It was a good time to launch in Manhattan as the property was really, really hot by the end of that year. So when the group was in this pre-development stage at the time, thinking about building a branded residence in New York City, why did they feel this would be a successful model? Well, I wasn't I wasn't there when we um, when we decided to uh, develop this new business model for Mandarin Oriental, but I can guess that the with the success of the Mandarin Oriental hotel brand being um, wanting to enlarge our footprints in America. I think uh, that's an iconic location, although at that time, I don't think it was so iconic at Columbus Circle. And I think we believed it. We, we believed in the related group. Um, they, they built amazing products and amazing residences. And through it all, um, we feel that New York particularly would be very um, receptive to our form, our brand of legendary service. And we have a lot of American business, uh, the U.S. business. So we feel like it was a great time to really create this somewhat boutique personalized feeling that can't really be found anywhere else. Well, there, there's like seven branded residences in operation. I know you have New York, you have Hyde Park, London, Bangkok, Boston, Macau, Taipei, and Bodrum. Was there, am I missing anything? Um, nope, you're very good. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so how, how, does, how does each property stand out on its own and, and what unites them? Well, I think what unites them is the way it's, it's the service quality. And that is a, that's something that we don't compromise on. We train um, a year out of any of our residents, um, colleagues and staff. But what sets us apart in all of these residences and in the new 18 plus that we're, we're going to be opening in the next few years, mm -hmm. it's location, 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 location. So all of it is really driven by what the location is going to be, whether we think this is a Mandarin Oriental, does it work for Mandarin Oriental as a brand? But at the end of the day, we will deliver what we can control, which is our level of service and our mission to really ensure that the daily well-being of our residents' owners are completely taken care of. Now, they don't have to think about anything else when they live at a Mandarin Oriental. You can look at you know, the recent Fifth Avenue and Wilshire Boulevard uh, standalone residence. So this is one of the first our residents where there isn't a locate, uh, mm -hmm. located, uh, a hotel located there. And it's all going to be staffed by Mandarin Oriental colleagues. And what we see there is that we're not 
we we're not building or opening a hotel we're building we're opening a residence but we are going to bring to it our level of service and attention to detail so that you know the buyers there will look, feel like they're living at a hotel but you know not really with any of the guests that are living there that are staying there so what goes into the design of a mandarin oriental branded residence is you know where do you start I mean, do you consider the lifestyle preferences of prospective buyers in that in that market to inform the choices about architecture, interior design, and the amenities and services each project will offer? Absolutely. Uh, this is really more on the developer side, but we work very closely with the de developer uh, to ensure that we create spaces that complement the ever-changing needs of our guests and our residents across the world. So we do do a lot of research and they're strategically thought out studies, feasibility studies, and inclusive of what we have around the world. We, we try to understand the buyer profile, the relationships with designers that we have and architects that we have that we bring to the table because as a Mandarin Oriental residence, the developers find this extremely useful and beneficial because we work so closely together that we could bring our credibility to their expertise locally. And each development, you know, I would have to say caters to a very different clientele. So whereas we do see there's a um, specific type of buyer profile in that they are generally a Mandarin Oriental guest. They know what our brand stands for. So going back to that first question that we had about brands, uh, but they are very different in terms of demographics in, in each location. So we really do work very closely with the developer to ensure that we are building something that is uh, meaningful and relevant to that market. So whether that is a vacation, more resort home, there will be different types of amenities and, and different offerings and programming as opposed to a more urban city and, and what that means. So what buying trends are you seeing across Mandarin Oriental's residences and how has that changed pre and post pandemic? Well, there are so many trends right now and everyone's always looking at, oh, what's the next up and coming. But one thing that we've seen over the last, I would say two years, really, so pandemic, it's really the co-primaries. So what I mean is that many of our owners, instead of having a primary home, a secondary home, a uh, you know, third home, they're really looking at mostly two spaces, homes that they would go to. So gone are the days of the pied-a-terres where people are just popping in for a day or two, they're staying longer. And so we have adjusted in terms of our current residents that we're operating to ensure that we deliver more programs while they're in residence. We provide more services that cater to the, the owners who with or without their families come in for a week and want everything ready for them. So the lock up and leave as well as preparation for in-home stay. Uh, is very, it's, it's, we are, we're seeing that more frequently. And again, I think it goes back to what was mentioned previously, which is that buyers are looking for space as they spend more time at home. So they also look for a turnkey experience. So the, the trends of having outdoor space and flexibility is not going to change. 
when you talk to a prospective buyer, like how do you describe the different experiences or aesthetics of owning at the Mandarin Oriental versus like the Ritz Carlton or the Four Seasons, et cetera? Well, that is the number one question. (laughs) 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 Um, So the primary differentiator, and I hate to keep saying it over and over again, is the way that we are, our model is that we train and we staff from the, from our hotel colleagues and from uh, really, if, if not specifically from another hotel, we train them to the standards that we would expect at a hotel level. So it's dedicated residential colleagues who are trained and empowered to deliver our distinctive service to homeowners. I think we, um, as opposed to a Ritz-Carlton or Four Seasons, do have a distinctive lifestyle and service heritage, I would say, in that we're, although we're a global luxury player, we have our Asian roots in hospitality. And uh, I think those are the main difference. One other thing actually that I'm thinking about now Mm -hmm. is that we always have it as in-house. We have not taken it out to a third party. So we manage our, we manage and operate our own residences. And you also recently announced the launch of sales for its first ever residential only property at 685 Fifth Avenue in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, I think where Gucci's old headquarters was located. It's going to feature turnkey ready units with furnishings and artwork, et cetera. Can you talk a little bit about that project? Was this built with a specific buyer in mind? Absolutely. The developer, Schvo, Michael Schvo, was very visionary in, in the way that he thought about this as, a, as someone who has a passport and are international, jet setter, and would come to Manhattan to Fifth Avenue and need to have something that is completely tailored, ready for use, turnkey. And this being the financial hub and fashion hub, people are traveling back and forth. You know, the vision was that you don't need anything more than a passport when you come and live at 685 Fifth Avenue. In fact, when he did his first mood boards, we saw a lot of, you know, visuals um, showing people and glamorous lives of Harking back to the old days of the old glamour of Fifth Avenue. And, and, you know, he actually very interestingly engaged with David Lippman, who's a legendary creative director in fashion, Mm -hmm. to create a campaign to launch the Fifth Avenue residences, which is one of our first standalone that is without a hotel beside it and really created something that the campaign is based on, it happened on Fifth Avenue. So really harking back to the old glamorous New York right. and uh, it, uh, you know, breakfast at Tiffany's. I think some of the luxurious amenities really uh, speak to that and, and complements this positioning, which is that it's fully furnished. There are ready to move in and there are everything from glassware to dishes to the throws that are on the bed from Hermes is everything will be taken care of. And we really can just move in. There's a residence only Danielle Boulud restaurant, hmm. uh, rooftop pool. So it's all catered to in terms of the physical amenities. And of course you have the five-star 24 seven Mandarin Oriental service. Well, now that you're on fifth Avenue, is that how you got sort of forged this partnership with Saks? It is actually, it's, uh, it, it, it happened because of David Lemon, of course, because of his connection with fashion, 
But we thought that this building, which is on 53rd and 5th, um, was really something, you know, again, we always look for marketing partnerships with like-minded brands. And SAC seems like a natural fit because the proximity and that, you know, when people are here, they, they wanted to have everything catered to. And so SACS can bring in their VIP customer service, uh, bring over a whole suite of clothes for in-season to, to let our owners look at and then bring it back if it doesn't, you know, doesn't work out for them. So I think there's a lot of synergy between the two brands, between Mandarin Oriental and this particular product, which is a very um, turnkey product to also have a fashion element. And it, again, goes back to this, it happened on Fifth Avenue, which is a very exciting campaign, I must say, because it's very different from the usual real estate advertising and and positioning, uh, that it's really talking about, again, the brand, the emotional feelings that you get uh, when you go to a Mandarin Oriental, in this case, specifically on Fifth Avenue, and that this is about glamour. This is about not having to worry a thing you will be taken care of as soon as you arrive. So just bring your passport and you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So what new projects are you most excited about at the moment? Well, I'm excited about all of them. I don't have a favorite among my children. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, but I would say that, you know, this, this standalone Fifth Avenue in Beverly Hills is very exciting. Barcelona is also a standalone and it's a beautiful building. And I would say probably, okay, if I have to choose, obviously I'm not choosing right now, but Vienna and Barcelona are very unusual because you will never have another one like that. The reason being is that they're both in historic locations in the heart of the city. The developer has found the the land and and the, the, the real estate where there won't be another one like that for many, many years. And Obviously, with Mandarin Oriental attached to it, we're going to be building something that hopefully will be deserving of this location. And it will be fantastic to to see uh, these buildings go up and and have people move in to live in the heart of a historic city like Vienna or Barcelona. So what do you think the future of branded residence is? How do you see it evolving? I think they're here to stay. Um, I think there there's a danger, like you mentioned earlier, about not getting too crazy, speaking outside of the hotel uh, segment, but on just branded residences is choosing the right brand to to be a partner with. I think that's important for both the brand and for the developer. I think we need to keep it exclusive and relevant. So you can't just, and I won't say the name, you can't just slap mm-hmm. a name on a building and call it that. And because people will say, well, what does that mean? And I think people in terms of the buyers and these owners who are spending millions of hundreds of millions, in some cases, dollars on a branded home, expect a certain level of service and they expect a certain level of amenities. And it's not about gimmicks. I think they, you know, people are harking back to um, what is important to them, given what's been happening in the last two years all over the world. I think that we, we care about our families, we care about our homes, and we need a balance. And, and I think luxury, it's all about time. And I think we've all heard this before, but it's about time doing the things that you care about and time to feel good about what you're doing, who you're with, 
and where you are at. So I think if we can deliver that as a brand, that will work. So Adelina, my final question is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests. So Ah. if you were stranded on a deserted island and you can only have one luxury item with you, what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of air transportation or water transportation or anything that requires mobile service so you can call somebody to get you off that island. So it's you by yourself with palm trees, sand, ocean. What would that one luxury item that you would like to have with you? Is there a timer on this? I, I, I think I know. Um, well, there's a practical side and there's a non-practical side. And in keeping with branding and emotions, I think I will have my Tiffany double photo frame with pictures of my two children, because I want to know that I can, I will, I have a reason to get off the island. Don't tell my husband. <laughs> He'll never hear this. Don't worry about it. Adelina Wong Edelson, Global Head of Residences Marketing at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel Group. Thank you so much for joining me on the luxury item. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.